But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Micah, just after Jonah, but if you make it to Nahum and Habakkuk, you've gone too far. Micah, considered a minor prophet, here gives us a prophecy of our Lord's birth, some 700 years before he would be born. Jesus Christ is the point of the scriptures. He is the one that is pointed towards in the Old Testament, is discussed, prophesied, pointed towards in every, in every form and facet in the Old Testament. And equally in the New Testament, he is the point of the New Testament. He is the one that is, that is discussed. He is the one who is pointed back to his cross, his life, the way, he, the way he lived, the way he died for us, the love that he had for us is pointed back in every instance, even, even in the very practical discussions that go on in, in James and, and in Ephesians and in Hebrews, all, all of those practical portions of Scripture, even all come from God's love for us. He is the point of the Scriptures. In fact, He is the one that said that the Scriptures testify of Him. John 5.39 He's told the scribes and the Pharisees, ye think ye have eternal life. Search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. But they are they, the scriptures, which testify of me. Their Old Testament that they had at that point in time, the Hebrew scriptures, are they which testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one whom David, as he is carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote about in Psalm 40 and verse 7. He is the one that the whole volume of the book is written of. It was not written of David. It was written of the greater than David. It was written of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get that from Hebrews chapter 10, the inspired commentary on Psalm 40 and verse 7. The text before us is but one example of, of that truth, that the scriptures are about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are three points that I would like for us to, to come away understanding about our Lord Jesus Christ. From this, very, from this text before us. The first point, that Christ came forth. Let's note the reading. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. Bethlehem Ephratah. Well, before we get there, the coming forth is speaking of being born. He was born in Bethlehem. Come to Genesis where we'll see the, the Hebrew term yatsah, which is here rendered come forth. Yatsah is rendered in Genesis 17 and verse 16 this way. In verse 6, excuse me. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful. The Lord speaking to Abraham. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Kings would be begotten by Abraham. They would come forth. From Abraham's loins. And later on in, in Genesis, Genesis 38, in verse 29, <clears throat> and it came to pass as he drew back his hand that behold, his brother came out, speaking of Jacob and Esau. And she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Pharez. This uh, speaking of twins 
being born. Excuse me, these are these are uh, di- different different uh, children being born. But it, nevertheless, coming forth has to do with being born. Our Lord was brought forth just as any other child was brought forth. He was born. The the birthing process that Mary went through is exactly the same as anybody else that has ever gone through that process. It was not any different. She, she did not have a, a, a miraculous birth. It was the, the conception, yes, miraculous. But the birthing process was no different. He would be brought forth in Bethlehem, just as we read in the Gospels. Now, Bethlehem Ephratah, so that we may understand what, what this is referring to. Bethlehem. We're familiar with that, but did you know that there were two Bethlehems? There's one given to Judah, which is the city of David, where Christ was born. But there was also one given to Zebulun, the tribe of Zebulun. This is not the one given to Zebulun. Bethlehem Ephratah was to distinguish, differentiate from the Bethlehem that was in the lot given to the tribe of Zebulun. Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. And Ephratah. Ephratah, which is a transliteration from Hebrew, taking Hebrew letters and putting them into English letters. It's not a trans- translation, it's a transliteration. Ephratah literally means fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Now come to Genesis, and we'll see that these are two different names for the same place. Genesis 35 and verse 19. And we'll see where Rachel, where Rachel was buried. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is another way to transliterate Ephratah. Ephrath and Ephratah are the same place. Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Ephrath, Ephratah, Bethlehem are all the same place. When they were owned by different groups of people, they were named a different thing. We understand uh, that, that, that that same thing is done with street names here in Tulsa, between Tulsa and Broken Arrow. I grew up on 91st and Olive, but that is, no, it's not Kenosha, it's uh, New Orleans and some other name, depending on which city you're referring to. Depending on who owns it is, de- de- determines the name. Ephratah and Bethlehem are the same place. Bethlehem, Judah is also the Bethlehem given to the tribe of Judah to distinguish it from the Bethlehem within the lot that was given to the tribe of Zebulun. So this is speaking to the Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah, the Bethlehem that we know as the city of David where Christ was born. But also I want, I want us to notice the names, the house of bread and fruitfulness, fitting, fitting for our Lord to be born in such a place. He is the true bread of God, he said in John 6.35. He is the true bread that came down from heaven. The manna was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that that manna pictured, the perfect, the true perfect bread of God. What better place for him to be born than the house of bread and the most fruitful son of God that has ever existed, that will ever exist? What better place for him to be born than the land of fruitfulness. 
There was no better place for him to be born. And notice also that he would come forth. He would be born in Bethlehem. But he would also come forth out of Bethlehem unto me. That is God. He would come forth from Bethlehem. Not only would he walk in all the ways that his father bid him to walk. Did he, not, uh, did he not say, I've come to do my Father's will? I've come to do the will of him that sent me, and not my own? He came, and he accomplished all the will that his Father had for him. He did everything that his Father bid him to do. Even in his, in his high priestly prayer, on, in John 17, he acknowledges that fact, that he has done all that his Father bid him to do, and that his work would soon be finished. Not only that, not only would he come forth unto God in that, in that manner, that he would walk in all of God's ways, but he would also return back to where he was before. Come to Acts chapter 1, and we'll see that our Lord ascended, that he came forth from Bethlehem unto God, his Father. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, after, uh, after he had told the, the disciples that it was not for them to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, talking about when the kingdom would be returned to Israel. It's talking about a future time in which, in which Israel will rule the nations, a future time after his coming. By the way, if that wasn't going to happen, that would have been the perfect time for him to say, guys, you've misunderstood the kingdom of God. You've misunderstood the, kingdom, uh, the promises made to Israel. He doesn't say that. Because it, that, that will happen one day. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things. While they beheld. While they were looking at him. He was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. He ascended. He ascended unto heaven. What happened when he ascended? Come to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 1. <clears throat> After Philemon and before James, if you get to Peter and Second Peter, uh, you've, gone, you've gone a bit too far. Hebrews, chapter 1, and verse 3. Who, sp speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the brightness of his glory, his, his uh, relation to God his Father, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, he's a spitting image of his father, if you will, and upholding all things by the word of his power. You know, he's the one that holds all things together. When he had by himself purged our sins, do you know that he did that himself? When he said it's finished, he meant it. He didn't say, I'm done with my part, now it's up to you. No, he accomplished all of it. Our salvation was worked and bought on the cross. You were purchased at the cross. He purged our sins by himself. What happened when he ascended? He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. His work is done. He no longer has to continue to work. There's no, there's no walking about for him. His work is finished. He sits. He sits at the right hand of his father. He came forth from Bethlehem. Unto God. Just, just in case you want those put together, come to the book of the Revelation. We get it in, in a very summarized format in Revelation chapter 12. Now check this out for yourself. Revelation 12 verse 5. 
I don't, we could spend the next 20 minutes going through this, but you'll just have to take my word for it right now and check it, check it yourself. Verse 5, and she brought forth a man-child. This is not talking about Mary. This is talking about Israel. Israel was the nation in which Christ was born unto. Mary doesn't fit the context. That's why we know it must be something else. Israel fits the context for, for this passage. But she brought forth a man-child, which is Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. He would come forth from Bethlehem unto God his Father. He would come forth, not only do everything that God bid him to do, but would also be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. The ultimate coming unto God, coming forth from Bethlehem unto God. And we come back to our text. So we've noted that Christ was born. Christ came forth. He was born. But he's also king. Christ is king. Notice after the coming forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. He is ruler in Israel. Come to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, describing, his, describing him at his birth. <clears throat> and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, that is the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. How many times do you see the angel of the Lord or an angel of the Lord or, or the Lord appear and man's first response is always to be very afraid, to be terrified. Think Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when the Lord appeared unto him. He, oh no, I've seen the Lord and I'm a man of unclean lips living in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He understood his filthiness. He understood that he should not be able to stand before the Lord God. He, and he said, I'm undone. I'm going to die. He knew that he was going to die. And hold on to that thought because we'll, we'll see something like that towards the end of the message. But they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not. Anybody that has seen, has seen God in any of these instances that we can think of, the answer is always, you do not need to be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. That is Bethlehem, the city of David's birth. Because if you, if you search city of David, more often than not, you'll find that it's re referencing Jerusalem, where he reigned as king. But the city of David's birth, the city of where David was born, where David originated from, the city of David, a savior, which is, present tense, not to be, is right now, at that point in time, Christ the Lord. He was Lord at his birth, just as we say. He was Lord of all creation. And Mary, did you know, is one of, one of my favorite hymns for this time of year because of how, how theologically correct many, many of the, uh, of the descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ are. That he, would call, that he would calm a storm with his hand. The disciples didn't understand when that happened. What manner of man is this? Think about what must have been going through their heads, how they didn't understand the nature of the God-man, that he was Lord of all creation from his birth. So he was ruler, he was Lord in Israel at his birth. Come to Matthew chapter 2, where we see that acknowledged again by the Jews. By the way, this text that we're looking at today is, a, is a not very common 
text when speaking of the Lord's birth. But it was very well known in his day. I'm not sure why it's not, not well spoken of today. It describes exactly who he is, where he comes from, and what he would do. It is a, a most wonderful text speaking of the birth of our Lord. But in Matthew chapter 2, we see that, this, uh, that his birth is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? He's king of the Jews now, at his birth. Our newborn king, kings are not typically born. Kings typically inherit a throne at some point in time. But Christ was born king of the Jews. For, he, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. How did they know? They turned to the scriptures. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, now we have a bit of a, they're referring to the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. They've got a little bit different translation. That little among thousands, uh, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah. Do you remember in the Mosaic law how, how uh, uh, Moses was told by God to set, set princes over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, and over tens? That thousands of Judah is talking about the, the princes of Judah. So here, princes is an accurate, not an accurate translation, but it gives you the intent of what was being discussed. Bethlehem was a small town, not known for much. It was known, it was known for its fruitfulness, for being the house of bread. They were able to produce much grain there, but other than that, there was not much nobility. There's nothing, nothing to um, draw the eye to it as the birth of a king, as the birthplace of a king. It was a small town. Though thou be little, though thou be least amongst the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor, a ruler, one that has dominion, which is how the Hebrew term is elsewhere rendered, ruler, one that has dominion, governor, and one that would reign. A governor that shall rule my people Israel. And, when Herod, and then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men secretly, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And we we're familiar with the rest of the story. They, they, came and were, they came into the house. I know it's typically said that they came to where Christ was born, but they came into the house later. Remember Herod killed all the, all the kids ages two and under? It's because that's how much time had passed. When, when they came to worship the Lord Christ, and by the time Herod realized that they weren't coming back, that he had been mocked. So, they, they would worship the Lord Jesus Christ because he was king at his birth. The sta this, this statement or declaration was made in John chapter 19. Will you come to John chapter 19 and we'll see that it is made by uh, one that probably did not know that they were making a factual statement. John chapter 19 and verse 19 reads this way. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross 
and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh or near to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin, so that everyone could read, so that everyone would know that Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Oh, we, we're trying to mock him. We don't want this as a statement. We want people to know that, that he said this thing and that he's blaspheming the Lord God. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. He did not change his statement. You remember Caiaphas being high priest that year prophesied that one should die for the nation? that the whole people perish not? He said those words, and he was talking about himself, that, that, that Christ would die, that Israel wouldn't perish. But God had him say those words because it was better that Christ die and that we all be saved and that not all of us would perish. Do you remember John 3.16? For all the ones that are believing in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is why... Christ died. Caiaphas, being high priest that year, is an, is, is an example of what was done here. Pilate did not understand what he wrote. He, he, he figured it was to mock him. He figured it was uh, close enough to what the Jews wanted written. And he said, I'm, just, I'm not going to bother with changing it. But what he wrote was a factual statement. What he wrote was exactly what God would have him to write, that Jesus of Nazareth is the king of the Jews. Because he was king of the Jews and currently is king of the Jews. Do you know that he's not just king of the Jews? That he's king of all the earth? We come to Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> Matthew 28 and verse 18. Well, we'll get verse 17 for context. And when they saw him, that is Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's a group of people. Jesus has, has been resurrected. He has, has come. He's about to deliver the Great Commission to his church, that this is what they are to do. But some people see him in his resurrected body, and no, that can't really be Jesus. And he confirms, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, this is the Greek term exousia, where we get our term executive all executive power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven. Men don't mind that. Men don't mind if his authority is relegated to heaven. Men don't mind if he has his way in the armies of heaven. But men mind when he has his way amongst the inhabitants of the earth as well. He is also all authority on earth. He is the one who is not only Lord of, Lord of Israel, king of Israel, one that would have dominion, be the governor to rule God's people Israel, but also the ruler of all the earth. He is the one to whom, if, if kings and judges were to be wise, if they were to be instructed, Psalm 2 says that they'd kiss the sun, that they'd pay homage to the sun, that they'd walk in his ways lest they perish from the way. These, these things the Lord Jesus has been given. He is called King of Kings and Lord of Lords for a reason. He is the King of all the kings. He is the King of all the czars. He is the King of all the rulers of the earth. He is the one that is above them all. The apostles 
and the disciples, when they were crucified, when they were killed, it was because they were telling Caesar that he's accountable to one. He's accountable to one, a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is. He was accountable. And he was held accountable in those days. You remember Herod? In Acts chapter 12, what happened to him? When, when he was speaking and the, and the people were saying, it's the, it's the voice of a God, not a man. And he didn't give God the glory. So God smote him right then. Right then and there, he died and was eaten of worms. Because he didn't give God the glory. Christ is ruler in the kingdoms of men. He is ruler of all the earth. He is also ruler of the people, Israel. Christ was born and Christ is king presently. But also, I would also like to show us something else about our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you come back to Micah? Not only would he come forth in Bethlehem, not only was he to be ruler in Israel, but Christ is also from eternity, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. This Hebrew, uh, this Hebrew term for goings forth is motza'ah. It is talking about an origin or a place of going out. Now think about this. When you leave your origin, what are you doing? You're, you're performing an activity. You're leaving your house for a reason. Whether you're going to the mailbox, or you're going to the grocery store, or you're going to work, whatever it may be, you have a purpose. You're doing something. He, he, his goings forth, his activity, his accomplishing tasks has been from old, from everlasting. And the root of motza'ah is motza'ah. It is translated go out seven times, go forth five times, brought twice, outgoings once, and proceeded or proceedeth twice. It's talking about doing something. Think about this. Christ was not cooped up from eternity past until Bethlehem. He is the one who has always accomplished his Father's will. And by the way, this is the one that would be brought forth. This isn't just in his deity. Do you remember Paul tells Timothy that there's one mediator? There's one God and there's one mediator between God and man? Does he say the God, Christ Jesus? He says the man, Christ Jesus. Christ is God, I'm not denying that. But he's also man. The one that would, that would come forth... The God-man, his goings forth, his activity, his accomplishing tasks, his doing something has been from old, from everlasting. This from old, from everlasting, old, the, the Hebrew term rendered old is rendered old 17 times, of ancient time, nine times, before, three times, a four time, once, eternal, one time. So the idea is what came before what came before the present tense what came before present time was a before time was of old everlasting is actually two hebrew words yam and olam yam is the is the term rendered day like 2600 times it's a lot of times that it's rendered day but if you look at those uses of the term day it's not always a 24 hour day it could also be a 12-hour day. Genesis 1, evening and the morning, was the first day, 24 hours. It gives you 
the context is what determines what, uh, what type of day that is. Speaking of a period of time, a period, if I, if I may. So context must, must determine. And when you use the phrase, back in my day, you're not talking about a 24-hour period. You're not even talking about a 12-hour period. You're, you may be talking about a decade-long period of time. And the other term, olam, rendered ever 272 times, everlasting 63 times, old 22 times, perpetual 22 times, evermore 15 times, always five times. So think of the period of always, the period of perpetuity, the period of everlasting. We would call that eternity. We would call that before, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's when Christ began accomplishing his tasks, began doing his Father's will. It didn't begin at Bethlehem. His activity has always been going on ever since in the beginning. Come to Genesis chapter 21, and I'd like to show you how this term is used, how Olam is used. Genesis 21 and verse 33. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. God is not God from in the beginning. God is God from everlasting to everlasting. Come to the Psalms and we'll see that. I believe it'll be in Psalm 90, but the, I would like for us to see Psalm 10 first. Psalm 10 and verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land forever and ever. Everlasting and everlasting is the Lord God king. Psalm 90 and verse 2, the prayer of Moses, probably the first psalm ever written, for it was written, it was, the words were given to him by the Lord, to, given by the Lord to Moses. In verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. From eternity to eternity, eternity past to eternity future, God is God, and he is king forever and ever. This everlasting is from, this going, his goings forth being from old, from everlasting, is exactly when our Lord Christ accomplished, began to accomplish all that his Father set out for him to accomplish. Come to Proverbs chapter 8. I'd like for us to, to see... But this is exactly what the Proverbs foretold as well. <clears throat> Proverbs 8 and verse 12. As we read this, wisdom will be speaking. And you may have, you may have heard, heard me discuss wisdom before. Who is the wisdom of God? Christ. 1 Corinthians one twenty four. if you want to check me out. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. And here in Proverbs chapter 8, Wisdom is personified, and it's not just poetry. It's not just poetry. Some, some men will chalk it up, oh, it's just poetry. It doesn't mean what it says. I take, I take the word of God literally until the literal becomes absurd. This is not absurd when you see it elsewhere in Scripture. 
Proverbs 8, verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Drop down to verse 15. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. So not only do wise kings and wise princes follow wisdom, but also wisdom is the one who raises those people up. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar would, would uh, profess, would confess, that God is the one who places kingdoms, to the, who gives, gives uh, the basest of men to rule the kingdoms. It is the, it is the Lord God who does those very things by me, by wisdom, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Seek, seek the Lord early. He is always the one, the first one that we should go to, not the last one. In many, in many instances, he ends up being the last one because all other options become not an option. But if we go to him first, things would go much, much smoother in our life. Drop down to verse 19. My fruit, remember he was born in the land of fruitfulness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Christ, the most fruitful son of God, born in the land of fruitfulness, here says that his fruit is more precious than any precious metal, better than any fine gold or choice silver. Dropping, dropping down to, to verse 22, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, just as Micah 5.2 says, from the beginning or ever the earth was. When, do you remember that he's the only begotten son of God? When was his beginning? In everlasting. He was set up. He was begotten in eternity past. He was not begotten of the Virgin Mary. He took upon himself a body, a mortal body, for his immortal body could not die. But he took upon himself a body that was prepared for him. You read in Hebrews, a, a sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. That body prepared him was one like ours, was one that was subject to being tired, subject to being hungry, thirsty, uh, weary, one that needed sleep. He didn't have that until he took upon himself that mortal body in the womb of the virgin. This, he was set up, he was brought forth, he was begotten from in everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there was no depths, I was brought forth, begotten. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. Do you remember who created all things and for whom all things were created? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who created all these things. He must have been around before they were created. And that's exactly what this is telling us. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight. He was not his beloved son from Bethlehem. He was his beloved son from eternity past. He is the one 
whom he has always been well pleased with. Our covenant that we're a part of, the new covenant, the everlasting covenant, did not come into existence at his birth. God didn't change in the New Testament. God does not change. Malachi 3.6, I the Lord change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. His mercy is indebted, is embedded, excuse me, embedded in his unchangeableness. The fact that there's no variance or shadow of turning in him. So if that's the case, and we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in one that existed. We were chosen, him, him being, how can we have a covenant without a mediator? We must have that mediator for that covenant to exist. For that co- one for that covenant to be made with. God made that covenant with his son. His only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in eternity past. When he was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of the earth. And, the del- and my delights were with the sons of men, those that were chosen in him. His delights were always with us. He was always happy with us. He was always well pleased with the gift that his father had given him. I'd like to give you one example. Only have time for one. We could be here all day, and I'd love to discuss it all day. But just one of Christ's goings forth, his activity being from long before Bethlehem. Will you come to Judges chapter 13? Judges chapter 13 and verse 17. And Manoah, this is the father of Samson. We're familiar with Samson, the the strong man with the long hair that got seduced by, by Delilah, cut his hair off, and then he was able to be taken captive. This is his father. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name? Now the angel of the Lord had come to him and his wife and said, You know, you've been barren for a long time, you want a child. I'm going to give you a child. What, what is thy name that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor, we may praise thee? The angels and the, and the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name? Why are you asking, why are you asking about my name, seeing it is... Does anybody have a marginal reading there? Wonderful. Seeing it is secret or Wonderful. Whose name is wonderful? The Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah 9, 6. And unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful. And by the way, that wonderful in Isaiah 9, 6 is not an adjective. He's a wonderful counselor. There's no argument there. But that word in Hebrew is a noun. There should be a comma after wonderful. He is full of wonder, full of marvels. Not only would he, would he do many miracles, but he would also cause many to marvel, cause many to wonder. When he calmed that storm with his hand, again, how did those disciples react? Oh, we, we know exactly how you did that. No, no, they were absolutely astounded that a man had that kind of power. The angel of the Lord, his name here is Wonderful. So Manoah took a kid, that isn't a child, he took a baby goat, with a meat offering and offered it upon the rock unto the Lord. And the angel did 
wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord, he did what? What did Christ do in Acts 1.9? He ascended in the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. They knew. They knew who that was. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord was pleased, were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands, neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would as yet this time have told us such things as these. For if they had seen God and God didn't want them to see him, then they would have, God would have just killed them. But God intended to, to have mercy and grace upon them. Our Lord Christ, our Lord Jesus, though apparently of lowly birth, was one who came out of great wealth, was one who would come, uh, though he would be laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn, would be born in the land called the house of bread and fruitfulness, fitting for the true bread of God and the most fruitful son of God that would ever exist. Born in, in a small town to die, to be buried, to die on our behalf, to be resurrected, and to ultimately be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He would be and is the ruler, of, uh, the ruler or king of Israel and of all the nations. He is the ruler of the earth and of heaven. Christ, the God-man, from eternity past, has been the God-man. He has always been God's beloved Son since His begetting. This is our Savior. This is the one who we come to praise every Lord's Day. Every time that the, that the, assembly, that the church meets, every time the assembly meets together, which we ought to not forsake, that assembling together of, uh, the, the assembling together of ourselves as the manner of some is. But all the more, we should assemble together all the more as we see that final day approaching. As we see that day, that final day approaching. The one who is king of a lowly birth, who did not begin at Bethlehem. It is his origins that are from eternity past, ere the world was. It is he that we sing praises to this day and on every Lord's Day for his birth, for his life, for his death, for his burial, his resurrection, and ascension. All of those things are, are wonderful, full of wonder in our eyes. Let's praise him. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you have made it so, 